all, they can talk about it with their small groups at the end of the evening. They can talk about it with the big group at the end of the evening. They talk about it on the bus, and, 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 and then you get to stand in front of a room full of people, and it's not as easy as you would just seem to think. So from my, from my perspective, from what my eyeballs saw, there was a number of times where I looked out during the week, saw kids from other churches, saw kids from our church, from our church and I just look out, and, and, and you just see them listening to the person preaching. You see them in seminars locked in, and you say, praise God, because the world sends a different message. And for this week, there's, there's very few distractions. Um, they're in the mountains, they're away from everything, and, and they're getting God's word for almost the whole day. And it's awesome to watch. So, as a matter of fact, not just awesome to watch, a couple of times, I'm not a very emotional person, like I don't cry too often. There's a number of times where I would just sit there and I'll watch our kids sing and praise God or listen to the message and my eyes start to well up and I wipe it away before anyone can see and question my manlyhood. <laughs> but you just sit there in awe of knowing that there's a love for God. It's reciprocated back to him. He loves us and out of his, his love and his gift to us, we respond and, and this week, it was wonderful to watch that response. I'm surprised that none of them told you about their championship dodgeball tournament that they won. That, oh, that, yeah, that one too. But if you look back there now, Matt has the trophy that they pass on from church to church. I, I don't know who started that, but here's what I know about it. One, it's a guy bowling. So... So I think they're trying to save money on a trophy. Uh, two, you got to get your name engraved in it. But I know when I moved here, we played, we played volleyball at one of our camps in, in Minnesota. And the kids were like, we never win anything. And that year we took second. And then we go up there and, and you should have seen the kids' faces when they won. I mean, it was fun. It was fun. So anyways, many highlights for me. I'm glad to be back home, though, uh, again. And, and, but watching the recap and the slides was wonderful. With that, I'm going to start with something different today. I usually try to start with a story or an analogy to get your attention, but I don't have as much time this morning because we, we, we did a couple other things. So instead of, uh, instead of trying to, to draw you in with that, I, I, I just want to tell you something that I see as a pastor, something that I run into so regularly that it's easy for me to tell it to you because it happens so often and I feel like if you're distracted right now by anything, you should not be. You should listen to the words that are about to come out of my mouth because the number of times I've come across this means two things. One, that you'll come across people who also run into this or B or two, I said A, one, so real smart. But, uh, but the other thing is you might also be struggling with this or thinking this yourself. Okay, that's how often I come across it. A common thought that I hear from people often is this, that they don't think that God can or will forgive them. They think they're unforgivable. I'll be meeting with someone and they'll tell me um, about, about how they think that their sin life is so great and son, so unforgivable. And they'll look at me and they'll say to me, you just don't understand some of the things that I've done. 
And I look at them and I say these words, and you just don't understand that which he has done for you. And then they get frustrated. <clears throat> and they say, no, listen. I think my, okay, listen. I know that what I did was wrong and I did it anyways. And then I follow up with this line. Jesus knew you were a sinner before he died for you and he still died for you. And that's an important thing for us to, to hear because we go about life and we just sit there and we think, man, I'm not good enough. I made too many mistakes. mistakes. I do this, I do that. And, 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 and when we do that, we are looking at it from a perspective of I. And we forget that he is greater. Another common thought, which is along the same, same line of thinking, but from people who, who have never gone to church or don't go to church. They believe that churches are made up of good people who behave properly, who, who, who don't swear and don't wear khaki pants, or who do wear khaki pants, I should say. And, and, and they think that they all wash their cars on Saturday night because when they go to church on Sunday, even their car has to look good. And they're so wrong. I hang out with you guys. I know that's not who you are. You know that's not who I am. But there's this thought that, if, that, that Jesus died for people who were not that bad. We diminish our sin. We diminish that which we do wrong. You know, I only kind of need Jesus. And first, and it's just a side note, it'd be easy for us to correct that train of thought if we were just to start confessing our sins instead of always confessing our good works. But that's not what the message is about today. Today, I want you guys to be listening and to hear that it's not about our goodness, but it is, and it's not about our fake goodness or our fake behaviors that Jesus loves us. It is because Jesus loves us that he loves us. And we sit here and we question that. But you just don't get it, Brandon. No, I do get it. Because I too didn't grow up in a church. I too have done horrible things. I too don't deserve his grace. But I do daily bathe in it. I need it. And in that, let's hear this because, because we're going we're gonna to start with Romans chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. And, and I'm, I'm just going to hear the first question, Okay. Here, let me read. Oh, let me pray first. Uh, dear Lord Jesus, reveal your faithfulness to us. May your words speak to our hearts, our minds, our souls. May your Holy Spirit just speak to us right now. May you use these words that come out of my mouth to, 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 to remind us of your love for us, Lord, despite what we have done, despite who we are. It is about you, Lord, and your great love for us. In your name we pray, amen. Romans chapter 11. I ask then, did God reject his people? Hear this. I ask, did God turn his back on his people? By no means. Paul goes on to say, I'm an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people, whom he foreknew. Don't you know what the scriptures say about the passage, or says in the passage about Elijah? How he appealed to God against Israel. Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have torn down your altars. I am the only one they are left, and they're trying to kill me. 
And what was God's response to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed a knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if it is by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. You know, I think the first thing as we get started with this is I need you to understand what grace is. Grace is that which I, it's a, it's a gift that I do not and did not earn, but I still receive and I get, okay? That's what grace is. Grace isn't something I semi-earned. That's earning it, correct? Huge difference. Earlier this year, we read through the Bible in 90 days, and, and as we read through it, we would, we would preach through it from a text that we were reading that week. And as we went through it, um, I was struck by the number of times where we would see Israel, you know, God's chosen people to reach the world for him, rejecting the prophets, rejecting God's words to them, rejecting his ways and his statutes. Kings would rise up, they would assume power, and then that power and, and would, would go to their head and it would wreck them. They would surround themselves with not godly counsel, but the counsel of wicked people who would give them what they wanted or whose wisdom would tickle their ears. It was the things that they wanted to hear to justify their evil actions. The people did what they wanted just to make sure that they kept other people happy, even if it meant turning their back on who God was and his ways. They did this so much that as, as Paul starts to write in the New Testament, in Romans chapter 1, this is what he says about, about the wickedness of man. They have exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. And it talks about how God gave them over to their sins. I bring this to your attention because I want you to see that God does not force people to be in a relationship with him. When God set out to, to walk with Adam and Eve, he wanted to have a relationship with them. It's not forced. And, 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 and God in this says, hey, these are my commands. These are my statues. Live by them. And as we see, as we look throughout the scriptures, people would walk away from that and they turn their backs on it and, and, and they didn't want to hear it. And you get to this point where, you, where we start to ask the question, did man's sinfulness become so great that God rejected his people? I mean, why else would Paul be asking this question? Think about it from a human perspective. I have a best friend. Um, if I treat my best friend poorly, he's not going to hang out with me. You know, let's just say we're hanging out, we're doing something, uh, we're fishing, and then... Uh, I start to steal some of his fishing lures and say they're mine, and I start losing them. He's going to get angry the next day. He might hang out with me again. He might forgive me, right? But then we go fishing again. And the next time we go fishing, I do the same thing. And he knows it. And I know it. So then we go another day. And I do the same thing again. And then I do it a fourth day. Four days in a row, I do the same thing. I steal his fishing lures. I hope you guys like fishing lures. <laughs> On the fifth day, do you think he's going to want to go fishing with me? What, what, what would you do on the fifth day if I kept stealing all your fishing lures? Lock my tackle box, okay? Not go fishing with me, right? When I call to see if you want to go fishing, you're not going to answer the phone. And, and basically what that means is because of my actions, my friend starts to reject me, right? My friend starts to push back a little bit. 
And because of the way we think, when someone hurts us, when someone does something that's against what we want, what do we do? We slide away. We, we kind of give them the push. And it becomes a natural question when, when Paul says, did God reject his people? No. Nope. Go back in, in, to, to just one chapter before, at the end of chapter 10 in Romans, it says this about these people as well, just so you guys can get a, 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 a bigger picture of it. It's where God says, all day long I held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. When you think of somebody holding out their hands to another person, what do you think of? You think of a little kid, a relationship, yeah, I think that. I don't know if it's because we just came off our trip to YC. The other image I got was just as we were going up the hill or the mountain, you know, you're, you're climbing up, you're helping people up, you know. And, 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 but either one of those, now just the picture that we just get from that, that is, is that when God's holding our hands and he's trying to help and assist and guide, there's, there's, this, there's this rejection of the hand. There's a, a, a rejection of God's instructions for his people. And after so much of that, because of our human nature, we say, oh, is God rejecting us? But Paul is saying, no, no. And then you say, well, what about when God says to go left and the people go right? And what about when God says to go right and the people go left? And what about when God says, don't touch the hot stove and they touch the hot stove anyways? And the story goes on. I mean, it constantly keeps happening. It's almost like a, a spiritual game of peekaboo. Maybe peekaboo is not the right term, but like God's reaching his hands out to us. We look up to him, and then we turn our back on him. But God's not done. Well, you know what he does? He doesn't wait for us to turn around to him. God's who's on this side. He runs around to this side and still puts out his hands to us. And then we're sitting there like, man, I just turned my back on you. <laughs> I'm going to do it again. And you turn your back again, and God runs to this side. And, and that is who he is. It's, 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 this, it's this game. It's not a game, though, but it's this, it's this thing where God is not running from your sinfulness. So when we sit here and we think, man, is my sin too great? Is, is my sin too much for others? It's not. But again, humanly thinking, we think that way. In verses 2 through 4 in the text I just read, that we, we started with, it says this, God did not reject his people for whom he foreknew. Did you not know what the scriptures say in the passage about Elijah, how he, Elijah, who's a prophet of God, appealed to God against Israel? He said, Lord, they've killed your prophets, they've torn down your altars, um, and now they're trying to kill me. And what he's saying is this, you know what, God, at some point you have to have enough. At some point you should draw the line in the sand and you need to smite them. but that's not who God is. That's not who he is. We look at verse 6, and it says this. By grace, and not by works, if it were, grace would no longer be grace. What it's saying in verse 6 is this. Yes, you turn your back on me. Yes, you sin against me. But I am my great love for you who is God. I sent my son to die for you. It's, it's something that we struggle with because it's not how we act. It's not what we do. We want to tell God no. 
We want to tell God we don't want your ways. And then, and then God says, okay, I'm still going to tr- chase you. I'm still going to pursue you. And we don't understand that because when people do that to us, we walk away. It's not your good deeds, it's not your bad deeds that declare your, your standing with God. It's about the gift of grace, not the works of man. My friends, as we look at the youth groups who went on this trip, I want them to know one thing. If you went on this trip and you're younger, you need to understand something about life right now. Look at me. Your life is going to feel like this when it comes to God. I got some lows. I got some highs. I got some lows. I got some highs. And that, those are the feelings. But see, feelings deceive us sometimes. Because just because I don't feel close to God doesn't mean that he's not close to me. He's been the pursuer of your heart, mind, and soul since before he created you. He is the one who desires to have a relationship with you that's greater than your sin and greater than the things that we do wrong. I think even as we sit here now, I think we struggle with this. I think you struggle with it. I think I struggle with it at times. Like, Lord, I just did that which I know is wrong. And Jesus says on a cross, I died for that. I have the grace you need. It's more than enough. Do you believe that? Do you believe... Let me say one more thing about that. It's not even that he died for our sins. He died to take them away. They're no longer yours. They don't belong to you. They're gone. You might remember them, but he does not. And that's the freedom we get in Jesus Christ. That's another part of the human side that's so hard for us to understand and to grasp. And that's because we can't forget we can't forget the sins of our sin, of, our, of, of the sins of our friends that we eventually push away. But God in his greatness, God in his love, God in his mercy, he forgives our sins and he casts them away from us. That's the grace that we get. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the kids talking about what they saw with their eyes and heard with their ears when they're at camp. And Lord, we pray not just for like a seasonal faith, but we pray for an eternal faith. Lord, work in the lives, hearts, minds, and souls of these kids and of us, Lord. Remind us of your promise that, that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. You are the most forgiving. You are the most loving. You're the most merciful. And in that we trust you. Amen.
Thank you again for coming and worshiping with us. Receive the benediction as you leave. These words come from Jesus Christ himself who said this. Just as the Father has sent me, so now I send you. Love your neighbor. Go in peace. Why is he running?